Listen, we've got skyrocketing inflation, over $33 trillion in debt, that's trillion with a T, war in Ukraine, and now war in Israel. How much worse can it get under this leadership? That's why thousands of hardworking Americans are diversifying their savings with precious metals like gold and silver. I personally bought some precious metals, and I got them from the top-rated company, Gold Co. Gold Co. has helped countless Americans like you and me place over $2.5 billion in gold and silver. They're rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau. They've earned over 5,000 five-star reviews. They're a seven-time Inc. 5,000 winner. And that's just a few of their accomplishments. Right now, for listeners of this show, Gold Co. is offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver. That's right, $10,000 worth of silver, but only while supplies last. Go to goldco.com slash bill to learn more. That's goldco.com slash bill. G-O-L-D-C-O dot com slash bill. Diversify your savings with gold and silver before it's too late. Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversations we have about the news of the day. Today is our monthly special Scholars and Sense edition of the show. That means joining me today is Conrad Black, author, columnist, and media contributor, and Victor Davis Hanson, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute. Mm -hmm. His focus is classics and military history. Gentlemen, um, so much to talk about. Could I start with the specific, which I, I guess I just don't know. I've been trying to decipher this. Tell me what, what I've got wrong, and, and, and then it maybe you could answer my question. Um, uh, the Israelis, the IDF is now pretty much in control of Gaza, uh, Gaza City. Um, they are continuing their efforts, whatever the president and Tony Blinken say, as I understand it. Uh, a recent comment by Prime Minister Netanyahu was that... Uh, they will continue. Is there an attack from the north at this point? Is Hezbollah coming in from Lebanon uh, or elsewhere? Uh, is there are there is there action on other fronts by other other parties? It would be a suicide mission, I think. I mean, the uh, it, people sh- should remember that Hezbollah does have a hundred thousand trigger pullers, but it isn't a proper army. They don't have tanks or heavy vehicles, and they don't have mobile rocket launchers, so they could fire a lot of rockets. But the Israelis know where the launchers are, and they would attack them very quickly. And and in the field, like an advancing army, like Germany invading France or something, they would they would appear in northern Israel with no cover at all, and they'd be massacred by the IDF. So I would say not. Now, Iran may, in their enthusiasm, ask their puppets to commit suicide, but I'm not sure that that a very large number of them would be anxious to do that. Suicide mission for the Hezbollah, is what you're saying. Yes. yes. Yeah, I think that Conrad's mostly right, that they're trying to thread the needle, so Iran issues these blusterous threats, and then Hezbollah, and it attacks Americans uh, maybe 80 times, but very slight pinpricks. They send a drone over that shot down. They try to explode a bomb maybe in the vicinity of an American installation or Hezbollah will send two or three rockets over every day. So they're trying to do just enough to save face or to, to establish their credentials. 
but they know that this is one of the rare occasions that there is no restraint on a Western response. So when they look at the geostrategic situation, they've got 20,000 sailors and probably $40 billion worth of wherewithal in the Eastern Mediterranean. They know that they put anywhere near that American force, they're going to be hit hard and Hezbollah would be hit hard. So they're not going to do that. And then they know if they hit the Israelis hard, they could end up like Gaza City or what Beirut was, which I don't think they're fully recovered from the 2006 rubble that the IDF did. And Nasrallah would give a talk today and he did the same old boilerplate, you know, everything's on the table, you better, but nothing. And a lot of it depends on how the Israelis deal with Hamas. If they continue and they're not held back and they really destroy Hamas, and it looks like they just, they're destroying the spokes out of the hub and that the people in the tunnels are, you know, they're hitting the escape routes on the periphery and then they go from one spoke to the next spoke to the next spoke without ever, you know, being predictable, and they're they're forcing people into the hub. And if they can continue for another two weeks, I don't think Hezbollah will want any part of that. But if they stop and we reprimand them and they let Hamas go, then maybe Hezbollah will say, you know what, we can do this, and there won't be a response from the United States. So, as right now, I think they're afraid, as as Conrad said, of a U.S. or Israeli response. Uh, is there a chance that? Uh... The Israelis would listen to the U.S. call for a pause? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I think the consensus in Israel, and I'm basing this on just Israelis I've been speaking to, uh, serious ones, like your friend Carolyn Glick, uh, Victor, uh, mm-hmm. is that this really is a mortal threat to Israel, and this is the time to show that never again means never again. They see it as uh, the beginning of an attempt to exterminate the Jews of Israel, and they're, they're, they absolutely will not move on this one. That's my impression. And, and okay. I, think I think you're right. I, I, the only problem is that they're expending a lot of um, material very quickly, and at some point they're going to need this latest appropriation. And I don't know how crazy the, the Biden administration is. They're trying to appease their their squad base, but... There is no restraint on the Israelis that I can see, and I think people are starting to understand that. I reminded, as you were talking about spokes, Conrad, remember, we've got a military historian here, supposed to classicist, uh, good. Militarily, then, they're pretty resilient, right, the Israelis? Absolutely. I think the air campaign did a lot of damage to the tunnels. It did a lot of damage to Hamas. And they didn't do what Hamas thought they were going to do, just plunge in. I think it's more like the ink blots. They they take an area and they blot it out and they get rid of the Hamas. They destroy the tunnels and then 180 degrees, 90 degrees other on another spot on the circumference, they hit something. And then those ink blots start to grow and and they they form a solid blot. And that's what they're doing around the hub. And they force people to go into a confined place. And then when they're there, I'm not even sure they're going to go in there. I think they're just going to cut off the fuel and say, you know what? This is a tomb. It's not an escape hatch as long as they can stop them from getting out. So, but it will take a long time. It'll take three or four weeks. But the conventional wisdom was that it would be a a tropical Stalingrad. No, it's not. It's not. Absolutely. They're not going to go in the tunnels and fight hand to hand. They've got robots and dogs. What are they called? uh, uh, Hyperbaric? It's almost a hyperbaric where you put, uh, you know, gases 
people to sleep and that kind of thing. Yeah, they, yeah. they have a lot of rain. I think they're doing pretty well. And um, as long as they can, uh, they can, are they're allowed to continue. That's the biggest worry that I have that in extremists, right when Hamas is ready to be completely destroyed, somebody, an idiot, and the Biden administration will demand a ceasefire or else. Let me ask what the URL says. We cut off the funding. Is that what they're, you're saying? And that's the URLs. Yeah, I don't think I just don't see politically given the House and other people. And the problem that Biden has and the pro-Palestinian people have is that there's a, a minority of the Democratic Party that are either Jewish or they're pro-Israel yeah, 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 yeah. and they and they're angry and they yeah, tend to be the older people in establishment positions. And yeah. They Mike all talk Johnson. about the yeah they're and Mike they're looking Johnson at the, got twelve votes from Democrats. He, he did, and people are looking at the Republican Party, and it's actually more united than the Democratic Party. Yeah, and well, uh, Victor, is it not the case that the polls still show sixty-five to sixty-eight percent of Americans basically support Israel to the point of giving it a blank check to do what it feels? Yeah, it has they, to they do. do. Yeah, and, and, and the far left you know, anti-Semitic group and the Democrats are, are very active and, and and aggressive and influential, but not in the Congress. And they're only about 20 percent of the Democrats. Okay. Is that the conundrum that the president? It's has? actually it's been very clarifying because I think it really it's kind of like the COVID lockdown when K through 12 parents saw what the teachers unions were doing on their home screens. We're looking at this campus thing. And a lot of people said, well, we knew it was bad. And we knew that we had an immigration problem, but we never thought that these people would go out and openly support people who behead and commit necrophilia and the most satanic type of barbarity. And yet they do it. And so it's opening a whole dialogue about immigration from the Middle East, from student visas to the, yeah. to, to the whole university. Why are we allowing these universities to have tax exempt uh, in, income yeah. on their endowments or 1.9 trillion in subsidized student loans? I think they've really put their hand in the meat grinder. The universities have. Yeah, I want to get to that in a, in a couple of minutes. But can I just stay with the with the war and widen the circle? So Hezbollah doesn't take on the suicide mission. Hamas gets defeated, thank you, a series of ink blots. Iran uh, then realizes it's losing, right, to the yeah. Israelis. What does it do next? Uh, ancillary questions, related questions. Is the Wagner group involved? I, I heard that somewhere. Is that just a rumor? Uh, and, and is China behind this and Russia? I, I don't think they're going to do anything. I think Russia... First of all, Russia's got its own Muslim problem. They flatten Chechnya. They don't, I mean, they're very anti-Islamic. They're tied down in Ukraine and they have some interest in hurting us and, you know, getting a drone supply or whatever from Iran. China wants the sea lanes open for oil. It doesn't want a destroyed Middle East. They want to see us hampered or hurt, but they're not to the degree they're going to come in. I don't see any of the Arab, I was talking to an Israeli the other day and he suggested that and I think all of us knew it, which is obvious that a lot of these moderate Arab regimes are calling the Israelis and saying, don't listen to what we say publicly. But on the other hand, we will right. support you, but only if you get if you destroy Hamas, if you stop and let Hamas off the hook, then we're not going to we're not going to get out on a limb and get sawed off. So what I'm getting at is they the Arab Jordan, Egypt, the Gulf, they all want Israel to destroy Hamas and they would even like them to deal with Hezbollah and Iran. 
And I don't think Russia and China are going to do anything. And then we have these other renegade states. And I think, again, it's like they they play the foreign policy counterpart of what the universities are, that we finally get a good look at them and we're appalled in this gutter in Turkey. Turkey said they would like to send troops to Gaza. They'd like to send missiles at Israel, blah, blah, blah. We look at Gutter. We have a CENTCOM command there. They've got Hamas people in the hotels. You know, we have an air, air base with nuclear weapons at Ensalurk and Turkey. All these things, I think, are going to come under reexamination because they're unsustainable. Okay. These, these countries are enemies of the United States. So clarifying moments, clarifying moments. Like, yeah, I, I like so. your COVID analogy. Yeah. I think we should note that Iran is, in these terms, paper tiger. It has no significance, and its army is particularly impressive, and it has no way of getting to Israel. So I don't see what they can do other than stir up their puppets. And, and uh, you know, Russia is, you know, it has a GDP smaller than Canada. You know, it's, it's not that powerful a country other than that it has uh, impressive weapons. And and uh, China, for all the reasons Victor enumerated, doesn't want to do anything more than create mischief. Uh, I, I mean, Israel, it, it is a sort of a sudden moment of reckoning. You know, it, yeah. it, you like military history, Victor. It reminds me of the Mediterranean naval war in World War II. I mean, Mussolini was talking about an Italian lake and so on. And the, yeah. once war actually started, the Italian heavy units could not be found by the Royal Navy. They chased them no. into port. They never came out. And when they did come out, they blew they them out. Them. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing. And they were, but it was the same. I don't, they were afraid, you know, during the Somali crisis that Mussolini's got new battleships. And But when they actually went to war, all the pretense was was shed and that's what's happening iran everybody's scared of iran they they have all these surrogates they have all these missiles in the hands of their satellites but when you actually get into a situation where you're in combative landscape and there's no restraint then you look at the ability and potential and they don't have any one we, i don't think i can remember when we've had two of our newest carriers 150 160 planes 20,000 people all these support ships and they're sitting right off they're going to be sitting right off beirut and not far from iran and they have the ability to take out the power grid in iran to take out their military bases take out their nuclear deterrent they could render beirut into rubble if they if they're attacked under under what circumstances if hezbollah gets really desperate and they would send say five thousand rockets at night at that fleet they could probably hit do some damage to us but if they did that, I think the response would be their obliteration. There would be no – Joe Biden would be led by events. He wouldn't be able to say no. Okay. I mean, we're getting to the point now where the events are starting to overwhelm Biden. There are some serious people in that administration. I, I still think for all the nonsense he had with CRT and so on uh, – and, and Henry Kissinger is partly my authority for this – but uh, it, Austin is not that bad, in my opinion. He actually has some concept of the U.S. national interest and of how you operate an alliance. I, I think he- he's better He's better than Biden and Blinken, yeah. Let's look at the home front for a few minutes uh, using um, takeoff point uh, Victor's analogy. Uh, a clarifying moment about the Democratic Party. We're getting there, I think. I mean, it's certainly not as unified as the Republican Party, is, as, uh, as uh, no. I think Victor said earlier. Ha- but the I mean, problem is that half their donors, Bill, are Jewish Americans. Yeah. And half of them are. And the two biggest ones, George Soros and Bankman Freed, are kind of 
I mean, I don't know where Soros yeah. is, but Bankman Freed's out of the question now. And these donors, I think as this war goes on, they're starting to see stuff that they didn't think would be possible in, in the United States. Leonard um, Lauder and Leslie Wexner basically said the same thing. Now, they're, you know, they've never engaged in the outrageous activities of uh, George Soros, but, but they're pretty reliable. And then they're not the liberal. Do liberal Democrat Jews, wealthy li- liberal Democrat Jews, come home on this? Come home to Israel? Yeah, I think a lot of them will. Because okay. I think it's okay. it's not just I get not if it had just been the the normal Gaza sends some rockets over, then the right. IDF right, right. disproportionately react and they can say, well, I support Israel, but they shouldn't be disproportionate. Ha! Huh? And then that's okay for them to do that. But now. We've never seen anything like this. This is Houthis versus the Tutsis type of savagery. I mean, baking babies in ovens and putting their footprints on their throats and raping women to the point where their legs are in rigor mortis and they can't be, you know, it's almost pre-civilizational. It is satanic. And I think that they went so far that no Jewish American can even talk about uh, proportionality now. And when they look at the Democrats, they say, well, you people are not even neutral. You're pro-Hamas because most of these demonstrations occurred after October 7th, but before the IDF response. So they were cheering. I know at Stanford, they were cheering on the Hamas savagery because the IDF hadn't done anything about it yet. I I think there have been two dramatic political developments that have have reinforced what Victor just said. One was when Bibi brought in the opposition to the government. So the, the hostility to Bibi is considerably reduced by the fact that it's a coalition government. It really is a national unity okay. government. Okay. And, and, and in the United States, I think the Democrats were warming up for a month of a hilarious farce with the Republicans in the House of Representatives and the suddenness with which Johnson was elected and the effectiveness with which he's act, acted, including, as you said, attracting 12 Democrats uh, yesterday. Uh, this, this, is, this has changed the equation in both countries, I think, politically, in the short term. Is he good or lucky for both? Who, Johnson, he's impressive. I, I don't know him. I, ne- I, I think he's, him. Oh, I, I know him a little, and I've been impressed for a long time. But I mean, he's lucky that he. I mean, he's not always going to get Democrats, but he no. was lucky in that he got this one because of the situation. There's kind of a, a disconnect with Ukraine too, because we're pressuring Bibi all the time, but we don't tell Zelensky you can't you can't declare martial law or you have to hold an election, yeah. and then we don't tell Ukraine. Be proportionate. Stop the cycle of violence. Have a pause with the Russians. Uh, we tell them the opposite. We say, here are these great weapons. You have a blank check. Be disproportionate. Go into Russia. Pay them. And if you have to blow up a bridge or a supply depot yeah. or a Russian headquarters in Crimea, don't worry about collateral damage. We don't care. And you know what? Cycle of violence. There's been 800,000 dead, wounded and killed Russians and Ukrainians, and no American is saying, well, this is disproportionate. Uh, 500,000 Russians have been wounded or killed or missing, and only 300 Ukrainians. This is disproportionate. You can't call Ukraine the bully, but these people can't speciously call Israel the bully. That's, I think, that's yeah. different. You're right. Yeah. Let's talk about, the. is it a clarifying moment about universities in general? Will this will this cause parents to pause? Uh, 
I remember yeah, recently, I think, I think it will. recently I think. talking to parents who were talking about their kids getting all this indoctrination and horrible, all this left-wing stuff. What can we do? What can we do? I said, don't write the check. They said, oh, well, that's not an option. Uh, is, is, is it more of an option now? Are people, is this a clarifying moment about what our greatest, it's, it's yours at Stanford. It's, uh, it's, it's my, my boys, Princeton. I mean, it's Harvard. It's, uh, it comes know. on the heels too of, you know, a lot of stuff. The student loan thing is up to 1.9 trillion and yes, that's subsidized, that's subsidizing tuition, rising faster inflation. The COVID kind of helped a little bit to see what was going on. And then these universities, as you know, from Princeton and Yale and especially Stanford have, I guess you'd call them repertory admissions where they're not proportionally demographics. Oh, yeah. And so yeah, Stanford yeah. is bragging that they only let in 20% white, which is 67% of the demographic. And the result was white liberal parents that had their kids at Stanford sat camp since they're five. They're not getting in with 4.5s and perfect SAT scores. They're just not getting in. There's not enough room for them when you take out legacies and athletes and that 20% white. And so a lot of these people are getting really angry, but for maybe the wrong reasons. But yeah. they're losing a lot of their goodwill. And, and then you add these scandals at our university. The president resigned under a fire. We had the Bankman Freed faculty. Uh, parents. We had him on campus in house arrest. We had the Theranos thing. We had the euphemisms with a word. We had the Stanford law dean screaming at Judge Duncan and all that stuff. And then this comes and they are our president, our interim president. When that thing happened, he did the, the, the typical on the one hand, on the other hand. Anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. Be careful. React, and everybody got uh, angry. And so there was a huge amount of alumni who wrote a letter. And these were our biggest donors saying, this is pathetic what uh, President Salyer is doing, who is a classical scholar. I've met him and know him a little bit. But I, I think the idea is that these universities are, are now naked. And when they got people like that faculty member at um, Cornell yeah. who said he was Rickford or oh, whatever his name, he was, right. exhil- he was exhilarated by the killing of yeah. innocent. Yeah. Did they withdraw from those schools? or Because I was watching Fox and Friends uh, yesterday, and they she, she uh, rattled off a list of all the schools that aren't doing this that have pledged their support for Israel. Yeah. Well, I know that could, this, this yeah. interesting guy at Arizona State, Michael Crow, who's, you know, very unconventional as college you, president. You look at Hillsdale and their their problem right now, Bill, is that they're swamped with applications. And, yeah, Grove City. Yeah. And so is St. Thomas. All of the alternative, the University yeah. of Austin, the new one campus is getting a lot of money sent to it. So Dallas, people are looking. Right. Yeah. People are looking for some kind of alternative. That was going to be my question. Are there, I mean, competition is always the answer in the U.S. And there are alternatives, are there not? I mean, am I wrong? Most of the state universities are all right ideologically, aren't they? No, they're, they're bad. They're just they're as bad. bad yeah, here in California, bad. we had a Davis professor who said that faculty should follow Jewish children around and monitor them. And at Ber- Berkeley was pretty bad. The University uh, of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, my wife's alma mater, they, they were no good. Yeah, they're, and, they're uh, bad. I think what's happening is a lot of people are even considering 
if if the university said to us, give us tenure, which nobody else has, and give us a tax-free income on our endowment, which nobody else has, and give us the federal government to deal with a moral hazard. So if you default and because we're too expensive, it's your problem, not ours. And then if you have all of these studies classes, I think the public is saying to him, you promised us two things. One, you were going to broadly educate half the population with GE. They're not, you're not doing that. You're just indoctrinating these worthless gut studies courses. And then you said your professional schools and your, your STEM majors and your law and medicine were going to give us uh, an elite that ensured our preeminence in research. And yet, when we look at the weaponization of medicine and law and business and corporations that come out in journalism, they're not doing either of their two promises. And I think people are going to say, if you're not educating people and you're not making an elite competitive anymore, and these law firms apparently agree because a lot of them don't want want their law to... Uh, yeah, how about that? How about that? Yeah, and I yeah. think people are going to say, why go to college? You'd be better to go to two years of community college for free. And then into that... and. I don't see this BA degree anymore certifying a person as broadly knowledgeable and capable Not at all. of bureaucratic <laughs> position. Not at all. But my question is for that parent who went through the uh, you know indignity of the uh, tuition at one of those prep schools and went through sensitivity night and all that crap, uh, just to, to be better assured of a chance to get into Stanford uh, and then didn't get in, do they then say, well, we'll just go to uh, another place? Uh, or uh, do they say, we'll do the two-year junior college? I think what's happening right now, very slowly and insidiously, but these universities for the last five years to 10 years, they're Cachet was there like a cattle brand. That was all a Pepsi brand, Stanford, yeah. Harvard. It didn't ever, it was no longer synonymous with an inductive empirical education. And people who graduated, when I see a Stanford graduate and he comes into my office, I don't assume he can write or reason very well. Right. And, and I think what's happening is if that should, if this continues with their admissions and their curriculum and their weaponization, I think these degrees within five years are not going to mean much. And if that happens, that would be a good thing. Thing I think, because that's what they depend on. They they don't claim anymore they're educating. They're just saying if you have Harvard after your name or Yale after your name, you got entree into the elite world for the rest of your life. And I think it, it may be in ten years you'll say I don't want to mention it. I'm kind of ashamed, but I did go to Harvard or Stanford rather than hey everybody I'm a Stanford graduate. Who cares anymore? And so. They don't realize they're just kind of like Target, Bill. They're like Target or Bud Light or Disney. And people thought that couldn't happen to Disney, but it did. Okay, yeah. It's a Disneyization of uh, the Ivy League. It can happen to Disney and and America's favorite beer. It can happen to a university. This is, uh, this will take you back 36 years when you were a child. Conrad, speak for yourself, but I did my tour. I went to Stanford. I was Secretary of Education and took on uh, Jesse Jackson. You remember that? President Kennedy was president of the university that didn't show for the debate uh, between him and me, but uh, Jesse Jackson said, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. (laughs) And I I was out there to defend Western civilization. What the hell? I should have called you. Victor, anyway. Well, I think uh, I was a visit. Was that 91, Bill? Uh, that was, uh, no, 87. 87. I was a visiting professor from 91 to 93. Okay. All right. But well, it was pretty bad then. Yeah, no, I then. started. And then I went Then I went to Harvard, and they, de- they defended the core curriculum. And I called it a core light. 
uh, that it had, you know had nothing nothing in it, and that the students had a sense of humor, presented me with a case of Coors Light. Um, but uh, but that you know that was soon that, again late 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 eighties. Um, I want you two to know that as a uh, when I was in university, I went to the two of the leading universities, English and French, in this country, McGill and Laval. And yeah. both places, I defended the American position in the Vietnam War considerably. Oh, opposition. I'll but bet. at least I've given a fair hearing. I have to say that. They heard me out. I think what's happening, the name is, we haven't caught up with reality. You know, I've been teaching at Hillsdale. When I started 21 years ago, you can make the argument that a Stanford student was much better prepared, maybe not as bright or as bright. But now when you go to Hillsdale now and you look at those kids and what they're, what they're learning and what their aptitude is, and you compare them with a Stanford kid, or I, it's no comparison. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And yet, I and yet I think, and if that's true, and I think it is true, then the cachet and the reputation will have to catch up and be rebooted in a very radical way. I had a guy from um, Silicon Valley not long ago. I was talking about this to a group and he called and said, where have you been? We in Silicon Valley would rather hire a Georgia tech coder any day from, than a Stanford. And we would, we don't hire Stanford people with the expectation that they're going to be superbly educated. So we look for other people. And I said, why is that? And he said, because they're not any better educated in electrical engineering, which was the best place in the United States at one time. But more importantly, we don't want to deal with all the baggage they bring to the workplace. Yeah, and they, right. They just look for, yeah, they just have an attitude and they look for victim isms and ologies and we're victims and we just we're tired of it and we give our own tests to them privately and it's not correlated with the transcripts we see when we give them a test of general knowledge when they want to work for us we look at their transcript and that they don't they don't sink so i i think that they've really they're, yeah. they're committing collective suicide these these colleges Slowly, I gave it truly for, uh, for Hillsdale in Washington in in September. I met probably fifty of their recent graduates, and they were. I agree with you, Victor. They were very impressive young people, very, oh, very well oriented. They had they had figured out what they wanted to do, and the, you know, if I were still hiring people, I would have hired any of them. I think yeah. everybody's hiring them now. They get every, <laughs> as soon as they graduate, they get jobs. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk, um, as we often do, uh, election. Does this help Republicans? seems to me um, uh, that we're still bleeding. Um, the I, I think the abortion issue is going to hurt. Um, I don't think the Republicans need a quick response, a good response. Not, off, not, off, not right. offering it, not offering it. Uh, and they've got the slogan down. And I'm thinking of those independents. There's that, and then there's... <laughs> Donald Trump is, is it softened a little toward Trump? All this as we've talked about clarifying moments here in universities and Middle East and other things. Democrats is there clarifying here about the presidential race? Uh, if it's a fair election, can Trump win? I thought all along that he could, so I'm in the minority in this group. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I always thought my I think Trump. And Haley or DeSantis, any any one of them could win. And I think uh, Biden has got a kind of a trifecta. He's got a terrible record. He's declining geometrically each day, and he's corrupt. And each day we're finding out these checks just because you write loan repayment doesn't mean it's not a bribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he. I don't think he's going to be able to run again. I really don't. 
And then I think is that is that forty thousand dollar check being shown anywhere other than Fox and I think it is. It's all over the internet. Yeah, I think so. Okay, okay. And and I think the other thing is uh, what they need. I think it depends on two things. If the field thins out and all these people have zero chance drop out, and you have an honest debate between DeSantis and Haley about you know they they differ on some issues. You see them, and one of them are or other, you know, gets 20 or 25% in Iowa. And then that makes a difference. When Trump, who's, you know, been treated terribly, but I'm not sure, I don't understand that, I don't see anybody from the Trump campaign saying, this is our strategy. These people have weaponized the DOJ. We look at the calendar, Fannie Willis, Alvin Bragg, Lakita James, Jack Smith, they're all partisans. They're all going to tie us up in court. They're putting gag orders on us. They want to make sure we campaign. They want to put Trump in jail. And this is what we're going to do about it. And this is our strategy. But you don't hear that. It's it's uh, kind of that, Victor. I mean, that's pretty much what Trump himself says. I I know, but how is he going to? I mean, I want him to. What is the strategy so he's not? In jail. I mean, everybody said, well, he can he can campaign if he's in jail or convicted with a felony. But we don't know. I mean, how how far does he understand how far these nutty people are going to go? I think he does. Yeah, I think he does. Does the people around him, the Republicans understand they're going to put him in jail? I only know. I mean, again, I don't want to put on the ears of intimacy, but he phones me occasionally. He sounds to me like he's very realistic about the whole thing. And you see, I think that the um, to some extent, two things are happening in his favor. One is there's so many huge news stories, particularly this thing in the Middle East, that uh, the Trump hate is, is not on the front burner anymore. Yes, that's and true. The country isn't as much consumed by I hate Trump. Or the media. And and the other uh, is that the Trump that people hated isn't there anymore. Instead of a blustering billionaire saying ridiculous things that have to be walked back every day, you have a, a guy fighting for the right to to run in a free election when he has a huge amount of support and they're trying to sandbag him with an improper use of the Justice Department. And he's an underdog and people like an underdog. Yeah, yeah, yeah but he's got everybody turning on. Everybody who worked for him turning on him. That's one thing. And he does still occasionally make a ridiculous statement. But but my question is, I agree with the litany you, you guys recite. But after all that and all that about Biden, the polls say 44, 44. Well, Trump well, is ahead of Biden now in about three or four polls. Well, I think in the uh, the Harvard Harris, was he 49, 45? Yeah, I think it was an eight point lead there. Eight, eight, but, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that DeSantis is running even not as good as Trump, but he's even he's running even and Haley is running better than. Oh, yeah. No, uh, sure. All three of them are either equal, but I, don't, I just don't see how but Biden is going to be the nominee. They're within but, four points. No, I know. California. It'll, it'll be your governor, right? Yeah, I think it will be. I think that's the only way they get rid of Kamala Harris. There's no way they what can they, get what rid of her unless they have an they, open primary. What do they say to her? What do they give her? They just give her an open primary and they yeah, say, yeah, you know what? Run in the primaries and get bombed. Isn't that what they give her? Yeah, exactly. They just say to her, you know, Joe's not, Joe's going to bow out and you're our favorite person and go out and win the primaries and she'll get zero delegates. And then Gavin will be their nominee and they can't be accused of being illiberal or anything. Is there any chance for the, I mean, I occasionally see a Democrat, I think it's quite good. Like this guy, Bennett in Colorado seems to me to be fairly good. I mean, couldn't he, uh, I know the country doesn't know him, but wouldn't 
he beat Newsom in primaries? Because he, he no. looks to me like he could no. be over. No? Newsom is like Pierre Trudeau. He's Gavin Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. First, he's in, Pierre Trudeau. He's Justin Trudeau, but not Pierre Trudeau. I mean, Justin. He's just like Trudeau. <laughs> he looks like Trudeau. He acts like Trudeau. He looks yeah. very impressive for yeah. five minutes, and then he runs yeah. out of cliches, and he can't say a word. Yeah, and, and he, so but he, he went on Hannity, you know, and he did. Yeah, he he does well for ten minutes, and well, then ap- yeah. after well, is that, going to clobber him in this debate later. This I month? think you. I think he'll. DeSantis will look. He will look stiff and mm-hmm. uh, for the first ten minutes, and then Gavin will have his little what he always does, little put downs, little canned speech, ha ha pose, and then after ten minutes. I think DeSantis will beat him very decisively. DeSantis yes. has a kind of a photographic memory on the issues. And he does. Uh, he does. And I think much more than Newsom. But Newsom is very impressive when you see him in little photo ops and, yes. you know, joshing around, posing. And he's kind of like Trudeau. Every time I hear your Trudeau, He's kind of glib for about a minute and a half, and then he's just an empty suit. It's just yeah, pathetic. Yeah. Well, the public is finally right. that in. All right, 49-44, I feel better, but that's pre-cheating, right? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. that's for sure. You know, I think they will. I think they did, and I think Well, you had that. I don't know if you saw that. Did you see that clip on that Connecticut election where they were all stuffing the mailboxes? Um, the did not. drop-in boxes, it was, yeah, it was, it was... It, Wait, they, have to, they have to be ahead two or three points. Yeah, I think they'll be a lot better prepared. But I think in, in, rather than losing <laughs> a yeah, sure they're, four they're, points, they may two maybe. But they're going to have to win by three or four, at least three or four percentage points. Given well, we'll the way be that better. It will be better prepared, but they're better at this. Than I don't know if they're going to. I think they they'll have a little bit more trouble. It depends on who they are. If Trump is a nominee, these people are so crazy that they will. They will give everything to stop. They're obsessed with him. If it's Haley or DeSantis, they won't. I don't think they'll get the base out like Trump did, but they won't offend uh, and they won't get as much money raised against them. So it's kind of a toss up. I just and, don't see that either of them, and I like them both, have any chance. Yeah. I mean, what's uh, he well, got, a 45-point lead? Yeah. 50-point lead? The thing about I said if he goes yeah. to jail, maybe he loses five points. And the crowd around me said he'll get five points. Yeah, yeah you know, there are a great many people who know who think that the justice system is rotten. And it, yeah, it, it is rotten. I'm experienced, but I'm not the one to, 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 to argue that they're wrong. You know, when you saw Mallorca's testifying, he wouldn't even answer questions. Yeah, he sure. stonewalled on the border. You see the 8 million people. You think about that humiliation in Afghanistan. You see death to the whole crowds. It's You see the shop and uh, smash and grab. and car. Yeah, Everything yeah. is, there's a sense that everything is falling apart. And one, yeah. that helps Trump because his attitude yep. is, I think they, a lot of voters say, you just need somebody that's crazier than they are to just get rid of this stuff. And you can't, you can't compromise with these people. And that helps Trump because, yep. uh, remember the first thing he did and he got most criticized for it was slapping a travel ban on any country that supported terrorism. And they left yep. him crazy. Yeah. But Schumer like a lot of stuff he did. Yeah. And it, it was actually present. It was prescient. If we'd had that in effect, it would have been great. So he did things that no one else would have done. Every time he did something in the Middle East, you can't do that. You can't move the embassy. You can't talk about the Golan Heights like that. You can't cut off the Ham- the Hamas and the PA. You cannot. You cannot uh, get out of the Iran deal. You can't kill. So every time he did, 
he got stronger and got stronger. And, All right. All right. and when they on every time they undid what he did, it made it more dangerous. Let's wrap it up there as okay. promised. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank okay. you, Victor. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you, guys. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to what, Claude? Quick, what do you go to? Oh, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You got it right, thebillbennettshow.com. Mm-hmm. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. I still can't get used to that locution. <laughs> Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.